belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for February 26, 2023 is called A Template for Repair. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Really glad you're here. My name is John Ray. If you're joining on the podcast or watching on Facebook, we are really glad you're here. Um, well, look, we've all seen the bumper stickers. We've seen the T-shirts. We've seen the kitsch that is out there declaring uh, good vibes only and no bad days. Uh, don't worry. Be happy, we sing with that. And then we get to the ubiquitous live, laugh, love that we put everywhere, right? Like, like it is the declaration, the affirmation that happiness is the rule. Good things are going to come your way. You just have to vibe with it. You just have to manifest it. You just have to make it happen. It's all there for you. These slogans proclaim the gospel of optimism and denial while they subtly allow for the third but darker part of this trinity of American folk religion, violence to prosper unchecked. Now before you go writing me off as a major killjoy and purveyor of gloom, give me just a minute. I'm not looking, I mean, I'm all for looking for the silver lining in things and enjoying life. You've heard me say many times, time and again, how I believe that as a Christian, joy should be our organizing emotion. However, that has to coexist in a place where it is safe to be sad where it is safe to deal honestly and thoroughly with anger, disillusionment, loss, and trauma. And that is the invitation of Lent, is to give ourselves, give each other permission. Permission to hold along with our hope, along with our joy, disillusionment, loss, pain, and trauma. And nothing does that like the book of Lamentations. Now, I don't know how many of you have read Lamentations lately, but it's not on the greatest list, greatest hit list of most uh, Bible memory verses or books that you want to study. Rarely do you see a church saying, hey, come study the book of Lamentations with us as a way to... Be- be part of the church. As a matter of fact, when I was teaching Old Testament to college students last semester, and we got into Lamentations and Ecclesiastes, the most common response was, this is in the Bible? Like, like they just had never been exposed to it. And these, the majority of these kids were kids that had grown up in church, raised in family Christian households, and literally had no idea that these words were even in the Bible. 
much less studied them with that. And so what we see, and also, Laura, it is, it's 40%. 40% of the Psalms are, you were really close with that. 40% of the Psalms themselves contain lament, contain question, disillusionment, anger with that. And as Alex said, we don't, but we're not exposed to that. We skip over those very quickly. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. But we're going to look at Lamentations 1 today, and we're going to do it in a different way. So just to prepare you, we're going to talk about why we do Lamentations. What is the invitation? And then I'm going to read it. But I'll, I'll explain why I'm going to read it in the certain way that I am with that at the end. So just hold on as we get, we will get to the actual text. Um, but I want to explain what it is, again, because of our unfamiliarity. First of all, Lamentations uh, has a certain structure. Lamentations 1 is an acrostic that each letter of each verse is the beginning of a Hebrew letter. And this repeats 22 times. Chapter 1, 22 verses. Chapter 2, 22 verses. Chapter 3, 66 verses. As is often in Hebrew literature, the literature builds towards a peak. It ascends and it descends. So we would anticipate that chapter 4 goes back to 22, which it does, and it follows the acrostic, but then chapter 5 does something different. Chapter 5 falls apart. Chapter 5 doesn't follow the acrostic anymore. Even in the very fiber of the structure of the book of Lamentation is a letting go, is a release, is an admission of not being in control with it. So not only do we learn from the individual verses of Lamentation, we learn from the very structure of the book itself. The other thing to recognize, and I, I really wasn't fully aware of this until doing this study this year, Lamentations is a, it's a communal liturgy. So we often write, read the Bible for information, for inspiration, uh, for uh, history, for a story, for a parable, to learn something with that. Lamentations was... Is, it's like they stuck part of a hymnal in the Bible. If you grew up in a liturgical uh, tradition where they did call and response, Lamentations is much more like that. It was designed, it was written, ordered, in such that the people of Israel would read it out loud together as a community. The idea that someone would take a personal copy of Lamentations home and study it and look at it and dissect it was just utterly unheard of. This was a book meant to be prayed or felt or expressed together as a community. Some people say Jeremiah, most of the, the expositors feel like it was Jeremiah who wrote this, that, he, that it was probably written in a sense, remember we're dealing with an oral culture, that it was probably practiced as a sense when they were in, still in captivity in Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem. They were taken into captivity, the people. It was probably written or compiled there, but it really wasn't established. It really wasn't set down in a set order until, until the return, until the people had come back. And this is really important for us to understand, is that as they're reading this as a people, coming back out of exile from Babylon, Back to Jerusalem, they're still reading it as if they're in captivity. 
They're being invited to relive the suffering. That's a very difficult concept for us to accept as modern people. Most of the trauma that I've experienced in my own life has been met with, hey, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, let's move on. Hey, yeah, I know that was bad, but come on, that's different now. You're, no, you're not there anymore. Let's, let's just move on. Let's just move on. It would have been, I, I, honestly, I don't know what I would have done if someone had said, hey, let's, let's sit with that. Hey, let's really just sit in that pain. I mean, it, it, we're just not used to that in our culture. We don't know how to deal with pain. But that's what, it's not only what lamentation invites, it's kind of what it demands. It is, it is literally like here, read this now. And we have to remember that this, this is going to be done by generations far removed from the actual trauma. This is going to be done by generations who this is not their personal experience, but they are being tasked with remembering it as if it were, bringing it into the present. So it's a, it's a strange book. It's a strange thing. We're not used to doing this. Now, I will say this. I'm going to draw a lot. We, um, there is a, there's a powerful book called Prophetic Lament. Uh, an author, Sung Chang Ra. Um, he's a first-generation Korean immigrant and a fantastic theologian, and he wrote a book. It's, it's a commentary on lamentations called Prophetic Lament, but it stands alone. It's not like a normal commentary. It's a fantastic, and if, you were, or if you're still looking for a resource for Lent, I would highly recommend this book. But he says this about lament. He says, lament, is the, it, lament in the Bible is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. The hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering that is wholeheartedly communicated in lament. So what we see from this is that lament is an invitation to deal honestly with loss, trauma, grief, sadness, frustration. It invites us into it so that we might get through it. Because what we don't, what, what we often repeat, we often repeat what we don't repair. Remembering our loss, our trauma, practicing repentance and lament are ways of allowing God the Holy Spirit to aid in our repair. Lament is always a form of resistance against the temptation to repeat our traumas. Those inflicted by us, those inflicted on us. We are given instead a new pattern of admitting rupture, inviting repair, and committing to resistance. And that's the formula. I hate that word. Let's just say that that's the outline that I want to follow this morning, is this new invitation of admitting rupture, inviting repair, and practicing resistance. I think this is the invitation of lament with this. So the first part, admitting the rupture. It feels wrong, right? 
It almost feels sacrilegious to admit we are suffering, to admit that there has been irreparable pain done to us, to admit that there are relationships and things in our life that are broken beyond repair. It feels sacrilegious to center our prayers around asking God why. God, why? Not in an academic thinking, I want to figure this out, but why as an accusation? Why would you allow that? Why did I have to suffer that? Why is this the way that it is? And listen, you may be sitting here going, look, John, that's cool, but I'm good. I'm good. I had great parents. I've never been I've never been abused. I've never been taken advantage of. Like my life is good. Why do I need to do that? Well, first of all, praise God. I'm glad. I'm really glad. That's a gift to go through this life where you look at the majority and you go, I I I'm good. But the second thing is you don't know it's like nobody gets out of here unscathed all right nobody gets out of here alive nobody gets out of here unhurt now you may be tempted to minimize your hurt because it doesn't look like someone else's but it is hurt nonetheless not only that but even asking the question that way reveals the root of our hyper individualistic culture For any one of us in this world to say, I'm okay, is to be utterly, abhorrently ignorant of the suffering all around us. How dare we say we're okay? With the mass slaughter, the genocide, the abuse. Do you see the the lead article uh, in the New York Times the other day is about how the unaccompanied minors coming into our country with our broken immigration system are being preyed upon and put to work in the factories that produce our Cheerios and our bacon that sell products in all of our stores that we all shop at, that we all work for. 13-year-old Guatemalan kids doing that labor. Not to mention the suffering from the earthquake in the Middle East with that. Not to mention the devastation being caused by the war in Europe and the hundreds of other minor little wars that never ever reach our consciousness. Not to mention the overflowing system of kids in the foster care and the welfare. Not to mention the pain that is being endured by our young people where suicide and death by guns is the number one killer. How dare we say we're okay? This is not to guilt anybody. It's not to shame anybody. This is just to get us to open our eyes, to look around and go, yes, hey, praise God. I, and I say that I say that without 
any kind of accusation. I really believe it. That it's a gift to come through life without having to experience those things personally. But there's also an invitation there to enter into the pain of others, to enter into the suffering of others with them. You know, Alex talked about how um, all our songs are, they're all celebration songs. Our hymnals are celebrations, they're triumphant. And, and again, the author, uh, Sung Chan Ra, he talks about the theologies of the haves and the theologies of the have-nots. Uh, you know, I've grown up in a theology of haves. The theology of haves is all about celebration. The theology of haves is all about the joy. The theology is all about maintaining the status quo because we benefit from it. So it's about order. It's about orthodoxy. It's about drawing lines. It's about protecting position and privilege with that. That's the theology of the haves. And that's why, that's why our services, our sermons, guilty, I'm guilty. Our songs are all about joy, triumph. Yeah, hey, we will admit that there was pain, but it's always triumphant. It's always your testimony, right? It's always a testimony of what you've already been through. It's never in the current. It's like, hey, yeah, I slipped up. It was really bad, but God delivered me. Hallelujah, which is great. Hey, we want testimony, but we need to recognize that doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. The theology that have not, however, of those who are in suffering, who have been systematically oppressed, generationally crushed, who enter into this world with the deck so stacked against them that any chance, any chance of somehow overcoming that is well nigh impossible. They sing different songs. They pray differently. Their theology is expressed in their liturgy in a very different way. And it is encapsulated in what we are going to encounter in lament. So lament for us, particularly, is a posture of learning. Maybe unlearning. Unlearning some things. And then learning how to adopt that posture. Not as posers. <clears throat> not as somehow appropriating that for ourselves to make us feel better, but to practice it so that we understand, so that it changes us, and so that we can indeed get in touch with our own trauma, our own pain, our own loss, our own suffering with that. The theology that have says those are those who live in celebration are concerned with questions of proper management and joyous celebration. Instead of deliverance, they see constancy and sustainability. Christian communities arriving from celebration do not want their lives to be changed because their lives are in a good place. Well, what's our story? What's different? What about our community? You see, lament admits rupture. Individual, communal, past, and present rupture. And when Jesus comes, this is by the author Philip um, Aegean, he says, when Jesus comes, he means to clean house, to consecrate the things that are his, 
He confronts us with things we don't want to know, the things we struggle to hear or acknowledge, like the merchants whose tables were flipped in the temple. We don't want our own life overthrown into chaos or upended. But there is more than justice in the hand that raises the whip of correction. Christ merely comes, Christ comes not merely to drive me away or drive me out, but to offer me new life. And this is the other thing about lament. It is costly and it is chaotic. You can't plan it. You can invite it. We can practice it. We can't control it. Of all the years of being in ministry and sitting with people, I am, I am convinced that the main thing that keeps people from dealing with their stuff is the abject fear that once it starts, they won't be able to stop. That if they were really honest, if they really dealt with the pain inside, if they really dealt with the things that they had done or had been done to them, that it would destroy them and everyone around them. That it is it would become a, a wildfire that would burn everything to the ground if they let it out. But here again is the promise of repair that comes from that. I'm convinced that the only, the only way we're ever going to deal with the, the magnitude of our pain is if it is in conjunction with believing the magnitude of grace the magnitude of God's ability to repair, to restore, to redeem. Otherwise, what hope would we have? We're, we're right to keep it oppressed. I get it. If I, had, if I had no hope that God was there, if I had no hope that the grace was there to somehow bring something out of the suffering, I would be maliciously negligent, negligent to let it out. but I can do that within the safety, the promise, the context. And that brings us to the next part, that where there is rupture, there is also the promise of repair. You see, shalom requires lament. Not just individually, but most especially communal shalom. I don't need to tell anybody in here, in our society, our cultural narrative that becomes more and more entrenched, more and more toxic, more and more othering, that we desperately need shalom. We're not going to get there by papering over differences. <clears throat> We're not going to get there by these slogans of kumbaya. We are going to have to go through the valley of lament first. Whether that's politically, whether that's in your family, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's at your school board, wherever it is, you're going to have to go through the valley of lament if you are going to get there. We have, Jennifer brought this up this week. She said we have to be brave enough to do a root cause analysis instead of merely assigning blame or short-circuiting ourselves with shame. We must refuse to revert to our need to control. I want to make that clear too. Shame, shame short-circuits. I'll say that three times real quick. Shame short-circuits repentance. It locks us in this level of self-loathing, hopelessness, refusing us to go to let us go any deeper or any higher. It's this weird purgatory 
that he keeps us in with that. And, you know, we have expressions of how to do this communally. Um, talking with Lance and Kelly, I was really fascinated their time in Australia where they have, what is it, I'm sorry day with that, where they, they practice remembering and lamenting what was done to the Aboriginal people. And Betty was telling us about in Canada, they have Orange Shirt Day, which is where as a, as a country, as a people, they, they remember and lament and mourn what was done to the indigenous children taken away from their homes through, system, uh, through centuries of colonization and systematic erasure, genocidal erasure. We don't have anything like that in America. All of our celebration, all, all of our holidays are literally celebrations. And listen, we need to celebrate. Again, y'all all know me. I'd, I'd much rather be partying. That's why, that's why I need this work. I need this work. I need this invitation. I need this admonition to do this. But we don't know how to do it. And, and so... It has to start with the church. It's not going to be practiced by the culture at large. I don't see it in any time foreseeable future. Y'all? I don't care who's in power. I don't see this getting on the agenda. So we have to practice this in the church. And what it does is it invites us to come back into a place and relive the thing within the context of the hope of what is to come. So that in a way we can speak to that experience. We can speak to who we are or were in the experience to invite ourselves and the church and others beyond the experience. Not to forget it, not to just move on, move on, move on, it's okay. No, but to find a way that we're not stuck in it anymore. Because that's the thing, with all, our, with all our bumper stickers and with all our slogans and with all our home decor declaring, you know, life is good and life's a beach and all that stuff, it's, it's really pretty thin soup, y'all. I mean, I don't think Lance is in danger of going out of a job anytime soon because there's, there's nobody struggling with mental illness these days. I, I don't think any of the, the uh, pharmaceutical firms are in danger of going out of business because people are healthy. Like, it, it's there. We're just not recognizing it. Lament is this invitation. Lamentations is this invitation. Hey, let's just, let's just deal with it, y'all. Let's just call it what it is. But not, not in a defeated, hopeless, helpless way. Always within the context of the promise of what is to come. Laura mentioned that, you know, the history we forget we're destined to repeat and there's always a danger of telling ourselves story, stories about ourselves that aren't true. There's always a danger of lying to ourselves because the truth seems too, so hurtful. 
hopeless and out of our control. It seems too uncomfortable and too costly. But friends, what we don't repair will repeat, and we have been repeating it time and time and time again throughout our history, not just American history, all of history, y'all. We have to resist this kind of toxic, magical thinking. And that invites us into the last phase of this, resistance. Resistance. Now, I want to be clear here when I use this term because I can be sometimes be overly academic. When I talk about Mer American folk religion, I'm not talking about aspirational Christianity. I'm not talking about the, the faith that we are trying to practice here. But we have a religion as Americans, an overall religion. We practice it as such. And as missiologists and, and theologians will tell you that there's this thing called folk, folk religions, which means you may never step foot in a church, you may never hold a Bible, you may never do anything, but the, the culture practices a religion, and that's called a folk religion. I am convinced that the American folk religion is denial, optimism, and violence. Denial that we never did anything bad in the past, or if we did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was that bad, we're, we're, we're better now. We've moved on. Utter denial. Again, look, we don't have Orange Shirt Day. We don't have I'm Sorry Day. Culturally. Look at the, the wars being fought right now. The billions of dollars being spent by special interest groups to suppress certain things being taught. It's denial, y'all. Pure and simple. But deny, that denial is coupled with optimism. We can, we can, we can convince ourselves that that denial is okay because look at what's ahead of us. The American dream. The uncloudy day the endless opportunities that are offered us. Like, we ain't got time to be sorry. We ain't got time to be sad, man. There's money to be made. Businesses to be built. Like, we ain't got time for it. We got to move forward. Look at all that's... You can do whatever you want to do. Get Grab those bootstraps and pull them on up. We're going to tell ourselves a story. And it is all about overcoming and conquering from the, the worst of the circumstances, right? And those are the two public faces, but undergirding all of that is this acid lava bath of violence that results. Oppression and persecution, racism, othering, structural, individual historical, incredible violence that is perpetrated. Y'all, we spend more just on military in this country than we spend on any other single thing. I mean, look, you can argue all day whether you're Republican or Democrat or, or you know, pro-defense or anti-defense or whatever. I'm not even, I'm just saying, look at the money. Look at the money. That's going to tell you what your priority is. That's going to tell you what's going on. 
It's astronomically different than other countries. Even those countries we say that we're at war with. But, but that's, that's, that's out there. Look at, look at the violence within ourselves. Look at the violence that we participate in every day and we just accept as normal. The things and the people that have to die every day for us to maintain the way we're living. Whether that's traffic fatality, fatality due to environmental issues based on the way we produce things, fatalities of the food we eat that are overly processed and done the way they are so that we can eat quick and get back to work and produce more stuff. There's, there's violence. Look at our entertainment. Listen to the music, y'all. Watch the movies. Read the books. Violence sells because we're addicted to it, because it permeates every act of our society. Well, we have to resist it. We have to resist these false idols of denial, optimism, and violence. And the way we start that is by lament. And I want to tell you very quickly, this is a safe place to be sad. Grace Church is a safe place to be angry, disillusioned, to be sorry, to mourn, to remember, to feel it, to be free from it. This is what we practice as a community. We're not real good at it. I'm not real good at it. Show me somebody who's good at it. It's not, it's not the haves. It's not the people who already are on top. But we need to practice it. And that's what we're going to do. And so that we have this invitation to lament for the next five weeks to practice a new pattern of admitting rupture, inviting repair, and committing to resistance. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Um, Alex wrote a song in response to <clears throat> the murder of George Floyd, of what he saw. So we're going to do this a little bit different today. Alex, how's that first go, first verse go? Actually, this let me uh, let me teach the chorus. The chorus, yeah. Um, we are broken. We have turned. We applaud our self-concern, and in the end, it's all the same. There is no shadow in the dark. We can't be scared to be seen in the light, because in the end, it's all the same. Silence can be deafening. It was a response to the silence that was met, this outrage that we saw on TV. And while we, while we attempted to practice lament, we, tried to, we attempted to practice solidarity with those, the community, the African-American community in particular, it quickly became silent from us. So this is a song of repentance. This is a song to say we're sorry. This is a song to admit. And again, don't, it's not shame, y'all. It's not... It's an invitation. It's an invitation with that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read now Lamentations 1, finally. We're actually going to get to the text. And then we're going to go straight into singing that song, and then we'll take communion after that. But, but I want us to, 
I want us to hear this song as our liturgical response, as our way of practicing and saying, I don't understand, but here I am. And that's okay. Listen, you may not feel this. Anybody in here right now going, uh-uh, not me, oh, chest tightening, I, I don't know. I'm not that person. I don't agree. This is bad. You shouldn't be talking about that. Please just stay with me, okay? Just stay with me. And if you're responsive, the only thing you can practice today is, God, I don't understand. This doesn't feel right. But here I am. If that's all you can do, that's great. I'm not, I, you, you don't have to perform. Nobody has to perform their religion here. You don't have to pretend. But I do ask you to sit with it. Lamentations 1. Alas, the city once full of people now sits all alone. The prominent lady among the nations has now become a widow. The princess who once ruled the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly at night. Tears stream down her cheeks. She has no one to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Judah has departed into exile under affliction and harsh oppression. She lives among the nations. She has found no resting place. All who pursued and overtook her in narrow straits. The roads to Zion mourn because no one travels to the festivals. All her city gates are deserted. Her priest groan. Her virgins grieve. She is in bitter anguish. Her foes subjugated her. Her enemies are at ease, for the Lord has afflicted her because of her many acts of rebellion. Her children went away captive before the enemy. All the daughters of Zion's splendor has departed. Her leaders have become like deer. They found no pastures, so they were too exhausted to escape from the hunter. Jerusalem remembers when she became poor, homeless person, all her treasures that she owned in days of old. When her people fell into an enemy's grip, none of her allies came to rescue her. Her enemies gloated over her. They sneered at her downfall. <coughs> Jerusalem committed terrible sin. Therefore, she became an object of scorn. All who admired her have despised her because they have seen her nakedness. She groans aloud and turns away in shame. Her menstrual flow has soiled her clothing. She did not consider the consequences of her sin. Her demise was astonishing, and there was no one to comfort her. She cried, look, O Lord, on my afflictions, because my enemy boasts. An enemy grabbed all her valuables. Indeed, he watched. she watched in horror as Gentiles invaded her holy temple. Those whom you have commanded, you must not enter your assembly place. All her people groaned as they searched for a morsel of bread. They exchanged their valuables for just enough to food to stay alive. Look, O oh Lord, consider that I have become worthless. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass on the road? Look and see, is there any pain like mine? The Lord has afflicted me. He has inflicted it on me when he burned with anger. He sent down fire into my bones and it overcame them. He spread out a trapper's net for my feet. He made me turn back. He has made me desolate. I am faint all day long. My sins are bound around my neck like a yoke. They are fastened together by his hand. He has placed this yoke on my neck. 
He has sapped my strength. The Lord has handed me over to those whom I cannot resist. He rounded up all my mighty ones. The Lord did this in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to shatter my young men. The Lord has stomped like grapes the virgin daughter of Judah. I weep because of these things. My eyes flow with tears, for there is no one who can comfort me or encourage me. My children are desolate because an enemy has prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has issued a decree against Jacob. His neighbors have become his enemies. Jerusalem has become like a filthy garbage in their midst. The Lord is right to judge me. Yes, I rebelled against his command. Please listen, all you nations, and look upon my suffering. My young women and men have gone into exile. I called for my lovers, but they have deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city. Truly, they have searched for food to keep it for themselves, to keep themselves alive. Look, O Lord, I am distressed. My stomach is in knots. My heart is pounding inside of me. Yes, I was terribly rebellious. Out in the streets, the sword bereaves a mother of her children. Inside the house, death is present. They have heard that I groan, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard my trouble. They are glad that you have brought it about. Bring about the day of judgment that you promised so they may end up like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Afflict them, just as you have afflicted me because of my acts of rebellion. For my groans are many, and my heart is sick with sorrow. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.